I'm Josh Swartz. And I'm William Millingworth. Hosts of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am so excited to be here with you all this evening. And as usual, again, thank you as always for all of your support. Thank you so much for sharing our shows. Thank you so much for visiting our podcast page and just uh, giving us some amazing feedback as always from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much because we do what we do for you. We want to bring you some authentic conversations, some genuine guests that are here to share their hearts out with you as far as the state of education, the amazing work that they're doing, some different perspectives. And again, it's just really learner-centered for all of us lifelong learners. So I am just so excited for tonight because tonight I get to welcome Yaritza Villalba to the show. I am so excited for you to be here, Yaritza. How are you this evening? I'm great. And I love the way you say my name. (laughs) But I am feeling great. I had a long day today, but I really looked forward to tonight's show because I know it's authentic. I know we're going to like bring and handy up the conversation. And so... Let's do this. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Yes, Amanda joining us. She was first here. She put at 8.28 p.m., but I think that was the day that I posted the show. But I know that she'll probably hop on shortly as all our viewers right now. I know it's Wednesday. There's a lot of Twitter chats and all that stuff happening. So, But I know that we'll definitely get uh, some folks here that are going to be sharing some messages. But Yaritza, thank you. As always, just again, I know that you are very busy. It is the beginning of the school year, and I know that you've got PD after PD after PD. But again, just like you said, thank you so much. It really means a lot uh, stating, you know, coming onto a show where we can have some authentic conversations. And that's definitely your goal, you know, connecting educators, creators, one show at a time. So I'm really excited. So Yaritza, let's go ahead and get started. And as always, like I always tell all our audience members, that our guests to me are people that I see that are doing some amazing things in the education space and show their passion for education and continue to fill the cups of those educators that sometimes just need a little extra pour of some awesome sauce just to kind of inspire them again. So I'm excited that you're here, but I also see you as kind of like that superhero as I see all my guests. And as we all know, Every superhero has an origin story. So Yaritza, I would love to hear your origin story as far as how you got into education and the amazing work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Hi, beautiful people. So my family migrated here in 1991 from Panama. And most of my experience in public education has been in ESL classes or what New York State calls native classes. Um, And at that point, that was probably the most isolated time in my life. And some of you have probably heard me, you know, share this story where I was just like, I already knew the English language. So I didn't think or feel as if I needed to be in ESL classes. I came when I was three, right? So acquiring the English language was very easy for me. 
as opposed to like my sister or my brother. And then to be in Native classes with um, other students who had just came to America, I felt like, wow, why can't I be in a regular English class? It wasn't until probably about my junior, senior year where I had like regular ELA classes, but I still had Native classes as well. And at that point, I knew I just wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to do the right thing. When I began my undergraduate studies, I minored in education. And then I remember graduating and going back to my um, high school that I had graduated from and visiting. And the guy who's now my mentor, Dr. Christopher Smith, who was an assistant principal at that time, said, hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just in grad school. He's like, what are you taking up? And I'm like, education. I just, I want to teach. And he was like, come Friday, I'll set you up with an interview. And I was like, no, 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 no. Time out. It doesn't, it doesn't go like that. Like I have to finish. And he's like, no, we're going to get you started. You need to be in a classroom now. Um, my first year teaching, um, I was put with students. Well, I was put to service students who uh, were overrated and undercredited. So students that were around my age, they were students who were 16 to 21. So here you have this 21-year-old teaching 21-year-olds. And so it pushed me to think differently about what education is, what it means, and what kind of experiences I'm going to bring to the lives of students who already felt like the system felt them. And so not only was I coming in as an educator who said I was screwed by the system to take these classes that I didn't need, but now I'm seeing students who look just like me, Black and brown students, who are in these classes where they feel like I've taken this six times already. I don't understand this content, but everybody is introducing me. So as an educator, I had to figure out what can I do differently and how can I inspire them to not only learn this content, but do it in a way where if they're not going to use the content in the real world, how could they apply the skills and the knowledge that I give them in the real world? Oh, that is amazing. So, I mean, starting off so young, but one thing that I would love for you to expand on just a little bit more, it was just like you said, you know, 21-year-old teaching, 21-year-old students also who felt that the system failed them. And, and the only reason I say that is because when I first started teaching 17 years ago, I came into my district and being the new teacher, they gave me all the repeating students that could not pass Algebra 1. So these are the students that oftentimes just, you know, either the, their first time through, they didn't understand the concept. Maybe they just didn't have enough time or enough support. But one thing I noticed is when they came in, you know, coming in from bi the business aspect, treating them as 30 different customers that are not going to buy, you know, the content in the same way and selling it to them in a way that they're going to purchase, I guess, and to really understand and take in really helped out a lot that a lot of those students just needed that little extra personalization that really wasn't much more. So in your experience, like you said, through schooling and coming in, taking courses that you didn't even need, you know, how does, how did that even make you feel? And then of course, like you said, just build you up to doing what you're doing right now. Well, for many years as a student, it actually tore me down, right? Because I had so many questions. I had questions on if I study hard enough to get out of this class, why am I still being put in this class year after year after year? It wasn't until I became an educator that I really realized, hey, schools get, you know, a lot more funding for students when they're in ESL classes. 
I didn't know that until I became an educator, right? And so then I had to really rethink, okay, no one informed my mom about this, but also here you have this immigrant woman who she only wants her child to be in school, right? So she's not really going to ask the questions that someone who is much more informed would ask, as if like, can I sign my daughter out of this? Does she really need to be a native? She's been, you know, in these classes all of these years. She's not learning anything new. So no one really justified anything, but also my mom didn't know she could ask those questions. And it's sometimes the same for students who are overage and undercredited. They may not live at home with their parents, right? They don't have somebody who can advocate for them or who truly understands how the system works. But then for those who do have parents and who have asked questions, it's what kind of resources are we really giving those students? What's at their fingertips where they can say, hey, you know, I've taken this class four times and I've tried it this way. So now I want to do it that way. Um, and I think that during a pandemic, a lot of educators have found that new sense of let's be more creative with the product, the end product, right? Let me think of five to six ways in which this student can now apply the skills and the knowledge that I've presented and present it in their own way. It took a pandemic to drive us there. And some teachers were already doing it, right? But I don't think we were looking at the individual student needs. Like working in New York, some of my classes on a roster, you had 42 to 46 students. That's unheard of in some states, right? And so can you think about planning for each individual student? Plus, if they were special needs, they were still in the same class with gen ed students, right? So now I really have to provide multiple entry points, but I also have to build and gain their respect because they've had teachers frown on them. They've had teachers already um, judge them whenever they walk through that door late. So it was, what am I going to do different? Am I going to uh, give more time? Am I going to let this child know, hey, I'm here for you and I truly understand how you feel. Um, and I'm not going to lose the fact that I have high expectations for you because that was a plus too, right? So understanding, yes, you felt this, but I'm a new teacher and I'm not like those other teachers. We're going to pass this together and I'm going to put the same exact effort that you put in. So if you want to stay here an hour later, I'm here with you. So just providing different avenues for our students to just feel like they're a part of your class, a part of your lesson, a part of your planning, even when they're not sitting planning with you. You know, and I think that's something that you hit on that is so important. Uh, but before we get into that a little bit more, you know, one thing that really, again, stood out a lot as you were talking is just kind of having that information as as far as your mom not knowing that she can go in and sign, you know, say, hey, you know what, Yaritza, she doesn't need this class anymore. You know, why do we still keep putting her in that same class? What do you think? And do you still see, at least through your experience, do you still see that maybe as schools or, you know, districts, we're not doing still due diligence to be able to communicate to our parents, you know, what it is that we're doing? Because oftentimes I feel, you know, when I see the, the term learning community, a lot of my peers think, oh, that well, that's just the teachers, the admins and the students. But for myself, the learning community extends into the family and the home because they are trusting us with their kids and without their kids. I mean, there there isn't a school. So I think that we need to do a little bit better job at communicating those things. So what are your ideas and maybe thought process that we might be able to do a little bit better so 
you know, Yaritsas that are out there don't have to take the same courses, you know, four years in a row without learning anything new. I think we have to really think about the family as a part of the school system, right? Usually people wait until parent-teacher conferences to inform the parent of how their student is doing. I believe that is totally wrong. You have so many opportunities like the first day or even when you see that that child's name is on your roster, which for some of us is like after the first week of school. So I get it, right? Depending on who's your admin and what state you're in, we don't really get our rosters the first day. But when you do have it in your hand, how are you communicating to that parent that you're happy that that child is in your class? Even if you've heard so many negative things about that student, if you've probably had all of the wrong first impressions, how are you reaching out? That way you get to start to know and to understand what has already been introduced to that parent. And then from there, as an educator, you can point them to the right direction or you can give them that information themselves. We have to stop assuming that all parents know. And once we stop assuming that all parents know, then we'll be able to like meet them where they are. For me, the parent is just like the student, right? Everybody's starting off fresh. Regardless of how many years a student has been in your school, regardless of how many teachers a parent has had to sit with, once they're in front of you, day one, week one, first month, that's the first experience, first encounter that you're going to have. And that's your opportunity to not only build relationships, right? Because that is important, but it's also your opportunity to get to know what the parents already know. And I agree with you 100%. You know, I think that it's something that I was actually having a conversation with Dr. Rios last week, and we were talking about just the importance of being able to communicate with parents and really informing them and also educating them. And and I think sometimes we miss out on that important piece and that important component that if we are able to relay the same message that we're giving our students, that also give it to our parents. I mean, I think that that would really help a lot of issues that may come up, you know, obviously the miscommunication, these things, these sort of things where maybe there's a student that's taking classes that aren't necessary, but also giving parents, and, and I'm speaking for myself here and in my experience, that sometimes there may be some campuses that may not feel too friendly as a parent comes in where they can kind of have that psychological safety of just feeling welcome and, hey, may I speak to somebody to give me this information and so on. And sometimes I think for a lot of our parents, because I live here uh, in the border and Spanish is the predominant language, um, you know, still we're able to communicate, but there's still kind of like that fear of, well, I, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to say and so on. But I think we can definitely, you know, take some notes and really, like I said, go out and reach out to that learning community because we're all together in this as a team and it's a team effort to help all our students as well. So yeah, excellent. All right. Well, Yeti. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add, like, it's, it's about comfortability as well, right? Once you build that relationship with that parent, or someone in the school builds a relationship with the parent, they feel more comfortable to say, hey, can you assist me? Or, hey, I received the paper at home. Can you really explain to me, you know, what to do? What are my next steps? Do I really have this as an option for my student? Um, I remember using a flip for my parent group where I asked parents to share their talents. And I had parents like on a piano filming themselves using flip. And this is how I form the relationships. So that way, when it's time to see a parent face-to-face, it's 
Yeah, you're the teacher that had me playing a piano or singing to my child or doing TikToks. I had parents doing TikToks. Come on. But the idea is I'm going to help you um, not only become comfortable with the fact that I'm like pressing hard on and tutoring your kid like seven days a week, but with the idea that I'm not only reaching out to you when your child has done something wrong. It's I'm also the teacher that called to say, hey, how you doing? Good morning. What's filling your cup? I used to send my parents text messages of hearts in the morning. Good morning. I hope you have a wonderful day. And this is to 180, 190 parents. So that way, when I do make that phone call, you're like, hey, you're, you're Yaritza. You're the person who sends me those pink hearts every morning. Yes, I am, ma'am. How are you? You know, you, you have to find every opportunity to create and build relationships. We're all human. Teachers, it's the same goes for us. If the admin had never spoken to you a day that you had been in that school, and then they come in to observe you, oh, you're going to feel salty, right? Because they never said good morning. They never asked you even how your coffee was or what's filling your cup or how are you feeling, but they're observing you. That's exactly how parents feel. Excellent. Yeah, and I agree with you. And thank you, Anne. And thank you, Stacy, also for joining us. Appreciate you all with the comments as well. Stacy says here, yes, building relationships and trust with parents is so key. Love how you celebrate your students. And then, of course, Anne also stating, she goes, I remember when you shared that parent hidden talent example. What a way to build community. And that's what it is. Mel, thank you so much for joining us also as well from Colombia. Thank you so much. All right. We got we got so many great people here in the house to hear these wonderful conversations. But again, going back to this, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that helped me when I was still in the classroom was building that community, reaching out to parents and I get, I would even, now, it, obviously within the district that I was at, and at least uh, that particular school, there was more availability for parents to be able to come by, but I never hesitated to say, okay, guys, this is what we're presenting. So we would go over, let's say a science uh, unit. And at the end of the unit, the students were either going to do a slide deck. They're going to do some screencastify. They were going to create something. I said, I want to invite your parents, those of you that, that whose parents would be able to attend, and I want you to go ahead and present for them. And I would bring in little popcorn bags and things for the parents and just build that community. And then later on, it turned out that the parents were the ones that were bringing in like the little snacks and they were sharing with one another and they would sit all in the back and watch all of the students and, you know, to build that community where the the child was able to see, you know, their parent there participate and then parents just being so happy and then parent the students excited to come to school and not wanting to be absent i think like you said you really hit it on, on that nail on the head that community building relationships is so important similar to what stacy was saying and i absolutely agree with that i mean so i'm really excited about that and i love some of those ideas that you were stating with flip that's a great one to be able to use with parents i love that idea yeah, listen, I, I love it. Anything that you can think of, do it, do it. I used to like download the flip videos or even just use the QR code and send it text messaging to parents. Hey, look what your son created. Look what your daughter created. And then when the kids come in next one, it's like, no, man, you sent that to my mother. She was, yo, she was so happy. Of course I did. And even if the child didn't receive a passing grade on it, your mom knows that you're working towards, you know, excelling. She knows that you're working. She knows that you're trying. And to me, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And, and you know what I love about that? It's also because, like you said, you mentioned 
they got excited. You sent that to them because that's that's a learning artifact per se, because not only does that help you as a teacher to evaluate that the student understood the concept, but it also helps you to say, hey, was there a misconception here that I can fix right away? and on the spot. And so that's what I love that one of the things that I loved when I was in the classroom too, is just being able to see the the child's growth from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and going into an ARD or a 504 meeting or any kind of meeting with actual evidence of showing growth, uh, showing, you know, hey, you know, your son or daughter is doing well here, but as you can see, there's a couple of misconceptions here that we're working on. And now you have some kind of, I don't want to say tangible because it's digital, but it's something that's visible that you can hear as opposed to sometimes going into these meetings and saying, well, why is your child, why is my child failing? Oh, because they have 50s on all their quizzes. Okay. And, but like what, what specifically on those quizzes? And so that's the thing that I love that you can have that artifact that you can share with parents and share with the team and sometimes either say, hey, you know what, we can actually remove these supports because we see that growth and things of that sort. And that's one thing that I loved about, you know, and especially using these wonderful tech tools such as Flip and others such as Screencastify and, and things of that sort that you can have that evidence of learning. So I love that, you know, sending those videos to the parents. That's something that's wonderful too as well. Love it. All right. So Yaritza, t tell me a little bit more now, like, you know, especially now as your, your work that you do for Flip, you know, we see you on social media, you know, and you're doing a lot of PDs and so on. So tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, just about that transition now, you know, going from teaching and then now, you know, working for Flip and then we'll get into the authorship portion because, I mean, I just want to know all that Yaritza is all about. So I said, you know what, might as well, you know, I have the show we're going to ask and we definitely want to hear your wonderful story there. So tell us a little bit about just how this happened for you and then the, the current work that you're doing, because it's definitely inspiring. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm fortunate enough to work at a place that I love and that I truly believe in. I was able to use Flip with my students prior to working with Flip. So I knew about, you know, how do you take this platform and you really uh, use it to the benefit of your learners, right? And where you had naysayers that say, you know, I don't have time for that because I have to prep for this assessment. I had to show, hey, you can still use this to prep. It's just way more fun. Um, as many of you know, when I began working with Flip, I was still a classroom teacher and we had began the Actuarita series. And I focused on culturally responsive teaching where educators around the world would send questions every week. And then on Mondays, I would have this live YouTube session for 15 minutes where I would bring in the experts, which are all of you, the educators, um, to answer these questions, but to also share resources. That's something that I love. It's my passion, right? Um, I don't believe in the fact that, you know, when educators say students can't learn, to me, that's, you learn, you learn, you know how to put Legos together, you know how to press buttons, you know how to push all the buttons, like Anne Cosmoth usually says, um, but transitioning into working full-time for Flip, it was something that I knew I always wanted to do. I just didn't know when. So last year after I had McKenzie, um, I returned back to work four weeks later. I never took a maternity leave and I became an assistant principal. 
at this school, it was an expeditionary learning school where, you know, kids would explore. Um, and it was project-based learning and mastery-based grading. So that means no one's failing, right? Because the idea is how do we make things better? And I was still like, let's use Flip. So every classroom that I went, I'm like, oh, you're doing this? You can use Flip for that. And I found myself like doing soft promos <laughs> at a school that didn't use Flip. And then I slowly came to the realization that I truly believe in this platform. When it becomes a part of your everyday conversation and people are like having like parties for their babies and you're like, hey, you should put that on flip. Then, you know, it's time to transition. Right. And so March of this year, um, I actually transitioned to become a part of flip and I became one of the educated innovation leads. My focus is cultural and linguistic diversity. So I'm really honing in on those black and brown communities and those urban communities um, to really see how can we really apply, you know, the flip camera, but also resources that students need in order to be successful or resources that teachers may need to support those students. Um, I am constantly reiterating the fact that there is no such thing as an achievement gap, right? We should walk into a classroom believing every single student can learn. It's just at a different pace and they may need something else, something different. And even if that caused the teacher to have to step out of their comfort zone and now began to learn new things, that's how life works, right? We're all an ecosystem and we all feed off of each other. Um, and so my transition with Flip was just, how do I really um, still share out what makes the platform so great without becoming a salesperson? Because Flip is free. They don't need salespeople, right? They need people that are still wanting to engage with this wonderful community and still be their authentic selves. So every morning, you know, and, and I tell people this, this is not a part of my job, but every morning I love telling people what's filling my cup. And I do it on Flip because it allows other people to, if you don't want to like post what's filling your cup on Twitter, you do it in our space, our mindfulness practices space. But it's also a way that I hold myself accountable for reflecting when I wake up in the morning. I still have, I have a one-year-old. She just turned one, right? So these whole 12 months, which is me transitioning, I went from an assistant principal for six months to then working with Flip to then traveling to PDs. And now full speed ahead, we're like back to school. Um, but this transition has been remarkable. I'm growing as a mother and as an educator because we're all educators first. Um, and I'm loving every step of the way. Uh, yeah. This is this is so inspiring, Yaritza. Just hearing your story and just your passion, like it really, it it honestly, it's filling my cup. And that's because I, you know, pre-game, you know, pre-chat, we were already like telling you like how great this has been. But just hearing you and just the excitement, and I absolutely agree with you with a platform such as Flip. You know, giving just that mindfulness space. I love that. You know, being able to just address something, share something out, and then of course people being able to share out with you and sharing those ideas. It's something that is important and helps people open up and creating that safe space, that psychological safety that, you know, and that's something that is so important. And as students are, you know, coming back to again for like, a, well, at least here for that second year, and now they're back to school and everything. I think something like this is just something that is great being able to use Flip. And I love what you said too, you know, which kind of, again, we talked a little bit about it, that a lot of our teachers that were very kind of set in their ways pre-pandemic now that they're coming back they're opening up 
a little bit more to the new technology that is out there, the new instruments. Um, and I refer to to the platforms as instruments, not tools, just because, you know, with any instrument, uh, as any musician really needs to learn how to play that instrument to its fullest potential to play some beautiful melodies. And so oftentimes, you know, a tool that uh, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to bring this out once. But no, 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 like something like Flip is a wonderful instrument that has been evolving. And just when you think you're finally learning, you know, most of it, something new comes about, something great that adds that additional, you know, piece of excitement to just being able to share. And that's something that I love. But, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. And of course, in the mornings, that's one thing that I mentioned, like, I love your, you know, just your enthusiasm, like you said, holding yourself accountable and sharing that really means a lot. And you putting yourself out there for other educators, such as ourselves to say, Hey, you know what? Like, I, I, I'm not the only one going through this. Maybe I'm not the only one who ever thought that. And I'm glad that somebody else is speaking on that and you build up courage and you build up that educator community and you push that needle forward. And that's a lot of great things that, and that's something that we need, you know, continually. So I love it. I love it. I love it. So now you did mention your daughter, Mackenzie, you know, it's like one year now. So talk to us now a little bit about the books, because not only do you work for Flip, but you are also an author who has just released the second book. And so I'm really excited to hear that story. So where did the inspiration come about for you to just put pen to paper per se and write these books? Mackenzie, she's my inspiration for everything. Um, once I found out I was pregnant, the first thing I did was I took to Twitter and I said, hey, can people send me books? <laughs> culturally responsive children's books. And um, what I realized was not all of the books were culturally responsive. They just had like a black character or um, they were more on, you know, like assigning the spider, right? So they were like African tales. And what I wanted was a book that would resonate with Mackenzie. You have this Afro-Latina girl from Brooklyn, you know, her mom is living in Brooklyn. Dad was living in Brooklyn. He's Jamaican-American. So I went to something that when she opens the book, it's like, oh, this is about me. And I didn't find that. And, you know, if I did find it, I just didn't think I did. It wasn't good enough for Mackenzie. And so, you know, if, if something is not already created, you create it yourself. And that's what I did. I, I wrote a story to Mackenzie about Black and Brown Trailblazers. Um, it's called Mackenzie's Time Machine. Black and brown trailblazers who you don't see in textbooks. I was very um, intentional with not putting that much information in it because I wanted the adults who are reading these stories to kids to do the research first. Because I realized that there's a, a major part about um, Black history that's missing, and we only celebrated it once a year. But also there's a part about my Afro-Latino experience that's missing that I don't think we truly experience at all in America. Um, and so my second book, Mackenzie's Bisa Abuela, um, this year my grandmother came back from Panama. She was very sick. And I felt like not only am I losing my grandmother, but I'm losing a part of my culture. This is the matriarch of the family. She's responsible for us migrating to America. And so it was very important for me to share this story with Mackenzie. Um, but not only Mackenzie, right? All of the Afro-Latinos, all the Latinos, um, 
in Latinas who just want something that when you open it, you can resonate. You can see the mola from, from the Puna tribe. You can see, you know, platos that sauce y pernil. And, and you just want to be a part of something other than what you normally see in a classroom. And so with this book, I was very um, inspired by my grandmother, inspired by my Panamanian culture. And I wanted to, once again, explore the truth, which was, you know, you, you have this history of enslavement and migration. And then, you know, puro fiesta. Like every time I'm around my family, we party, we eat, we tell stories. And so the idea of the importance of diverse books the importance of exposing kids to texts that may not be your normal text, right? There's some things that I read in high school that if you ask me, did I read it now? I'm just like, I don't remember because I don't remember any single word because I couldn't see myself in it. With these books, you know, even reading it to Mackenzie and Friday, I'll be able to read it to my grandmother. It's how do you create something where when a child hears it, they're able to say, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, I saw that in grandma's house. That's what I wanted to create. And that's what McKenzie's Adventures is all about. It's about creating resources where all of the McKenzie's of the world is able to see themselves and do activities that really have them express themselves in creative ways. So you'll see in the new book, um, I'm using flip again, as I did in the first book. But in this second book, it's write a letter to your grandparent, right? And grandparents, they don't have to necessarily be our blood grandparents. But our grandparents, I always say this, right? Grandparents have made a lot of mistakes with your parents. But with you, they're like the perfect parents, right? You could do no wrong. I could do no wrong in my grandmother's eyes, regardless of what I did. Like I could take something in front of her and she'll be like, nope, they said I didn't do it. It wasn't her. So it's how do you say thank you? But also how do you think about all the experiences you had? And then the second is coloring. Coloring to me is a part of reflection, is a part where you see the creativity in someone's thoughts. And so that's another activity in the book. Um, and these books are just, they're what I live for, right? They're like, I have it in Spanish. It's now available in Mexico, and Amazon, Spain. And the idea is, this is for every McKenzie in the world. This is for all the kids and all the educators who want to be more culturally responsive. You know, and that's wonderful, like everything that you described, you know, just with such enthusiasm and, and it, you're absolutely right, you know, representation and, and I'm going to be honest with you and just putting myself out there. I mean, it, it isn't, you know, coming in from business world and then of course, growing up here along the border to Mexico, you know, I, it's, this is what I, I just see, you know, I see myself in, in everything here. But it wasn't until I got into my doctoral studies and doing some of the readings and I see like the importance of everything that you said right now, representation and for a child to be able as young student, young man, young woman to be able to see themselves in a book, see themselves represented, see themselves and not only just in the books, but also in industry, in in work, in, in all of those things is something that is so important and just the passion that you bring to it. And you're absolutely right. I, I, I had a friend of mine also, and I think your, I, your episode will be released, I think, later on either this week uh, with Matthew Woods, you know, Matthew Woods, you know, writing his books also, you know, based on his son and, and the same similar concept in opening this up and and say, you know what, there's nothing out there. Well, then I'm going to go ahead and create something out there. And I think that's something that is wonderful as educators 
for yourself to be able to do this and influence other educators to have these resources. It's something that is so important in our classrooms. And it's so these conversations are truly very important because they can definitely help us understand things a lot more. And that's the whole purpose of doing this show too, because I want to learn from Yaritza as well. And then of course, hearing what inspired you, which is Mackenzie and hearing your story. I mean, I want to learn things from different angles and different perspectives. And I think what you have done is something that is wonderful, my friend. So I applaud you for that and the work and the creativity that you bring along with it, Yaritza. I think that's something that really also resonates because I'm all about amplifying creativity and allowing students. And even as adults, sometimes when I do PD, it's like, hey, get in touch with your creative side. You know, it's okay to be creative. It's okay to bring these ideas and these passions into the classroom too, as well, to uh, enhance the learning experience and have some fun, you know, just like you're describing. So that's something that is amazing. And uh, I'd like to ask too, like, who was it that illustrated your books? Oh, Jen Levin. Hi, if you're here, if you're not, if you're catching up. Hi, honey. <laughs> I love her. Um, I asked her to be on this journey with me. Um, she knew it wasn't going to be easy um, because you're telling someone's story, right? So the importance is that you want to capture every bit of it. And I'm very hands-on. So like when I typed up my manuscript, um, I usually had, and Jen could speak to this probably like on another episode, I'd like, I put exactly what I envisioned for the picture. And then what I do is, I'll like go on Google or go on my phone and look up pictures of my family. And then I'll put a link to it so that Jen, when she's creating photos, um, she sees the actual image. And I would like, she was sending, and I'm like, yeah, but can you touch this up? And her smile wasn't really like that. And her lips, you have to catch the list. And Jen is like, yeah, I want it. And like in two minutes, Jen was sending like another picture. Um, but Jen is on this journey with me, and I just want to, you know, be clear. Um, she's phenomenal. She's amazing. If you need an illustrator, like, I'm definitely plugging her in because sometimes it's hard to work with folks who have not experienced life as you experience. And being a woman of color, it's really important that whoever is working on any one of these books truly understand the essence of it. They truly understand that this is for black and brown students, but also if this book is going to be introduced to students who are not of color, that it's being introduced in a way where they become, you know, appreciative of the differences that exist, not only in America, but throughout the world. And Jen is like on it. And, you know, I'm learning so much about her, her family, as she is with my um these pictures, I sent pictures that were already in my phone from previous parties that my family had where I went, I have the plate on my lap and I'm like, hey, Jen, we're eating sauce today. You can take this for the book. <laughs> and Jen is, she's, she's a beautiful soul. Yeah, she is. She is. And I just wanted to throw that in here because um, she's a great friend of mine. Also, she has been on the show uh, previously as well. She's a fellow Google innovator, but I'm just amazed by the work that she does and also the passion that she brings. So I was just really excited when I saw that she was illustrating your book. I was like, oh, this is just amazing. So I love it. So that's wonderful. Well, Yaritza, 
thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. I know it's it's a lot later over there where you're at, and I don't want to take some time away as you may need to put Mackenzie down, but I, uh, you know, and, and take and care for her. But again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being a guest on my show and just sharing your passion. As you, as you can see, like right now, like I haven't stopped smiling this whole show because you have definitely really pumped me up and gotten me really excited. And just to continue to fan that flame, you know, to learn from educators such as yourself that are doing some amazing things, but we're still not done yet because this is one of my favorite segments on the show. The last three questions that I love to ask all my guests as we wind down the show. So Yaritza, are you ready for these three questions? Make it happen. All right, here we go. Question number one, Yaritza. In the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Hmm. What makes me weak is disengaged students. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always thought that, you know, even if the student is experiencing something at home, you know, as the person that's in front of them, the adult in the room, there has to be a way to engage them. And engagement doesn't necessarily mean they're engaging in whatever you created in your lesson, right? It could just mean they're up, they're sitting up, they're watching everyone else interact. And so that's honestly my weakness. That that makes me want to cry inside because I'm just like, come on, educator, just at least say hi, or how are you doing? Because those small things can change exactly, you know, what that student does for the next 40 minutes in your class. So that's definitely my weakness in any any place that I go. If I see a student disengaged, it's, I'm like, just say hi to them, please. Like, just let them know that you're here and you're looking and you're willing to help them when they're ready. So, yeah, that's my that's definitely my concern. OK, excellent. Good. All right. Question number two, Yaritza, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Mackenzie. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I already know this, um, but it will be Mackenzie inspired me to be the best me. There's times where I'm having like a really rough day and just seeing her run around or seeing her do something new. It's just like, well, if she could do it and she's only one, um, I can definitely take this next foot forward or I can sit here and I could type up this paper, even though I'm really tired because I see I'm no longer just living for myself, right? I'm living for this small human who's relying on me to be my best self. And it's okay if you're not your best self all the time. Um, but when I look at her, I'm automatically like inspired. You could ask me to like change a car tire. Don't ask me to change a car tire. It'll fall off quickly. But you could ask me to do anything. And just because I know that I'm doing it with her on my side or when she grows up, someone's going to be able to say, hey, your mom did that. That truly inspires me. Excellent. Great answer, Yaritza. Thank you so much. And the last question, Yaritza. So maybe in the future, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on and everything, but let's say in the future, we've got the Yaritza Vijalva podcast going on and I get to be a guest on your show. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? You know what? Because I see this question in the chat. So Mel mentioned that um, she has, you know, she's about to start off with school. What do you think a teacher on educated should do as their first activity for the first day of school? All right. So, well, I'll kind of run you through what my 
when I was in the classroom, the first thing that I would do is obviously we would just kind of lay out the, just the rules, what we were going, but this wasn't just Mr. Mendoza's rules. These would be what we all together would come up with because I always want to establish that saying like, Hey, I'm not just going to be here, you know, just the, the sage on the stage and telling you all what to do, but this is going to be our room. This is going to be our space. So it's just simply creating that space, creating that community and just really getting to know your students and providing that psychological safety. I know that that could be very different, you know, depending on the teacher that they have before or even just their experience that they had up until your grade level. But, you know, being able to be open, being able to be honest and then being able to come up to you and trusting you is something that is very important because Again, and we say it often and it sounds very cliche, but I'm a true believer in it because it helped is when the students, you know, they have to buy into you first before they buy anything that you're going to be presenting. So even though it took me a little longer than most teachers that I knew in, in the other pods and in the other schools that were right away from day one, go, 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 go. I would take my time really just doing activities and building up that community and set everything for that first week, week and a half even. And I know a lot of teachers are like, oh, but we don't have enough time. But I guarantee you the return on investment was great when later on, because I didn't have a lot of the discipline problems. I didn't have a lot of uh, distractions or issues that were happening because I knew how to gauge the room and I knew how my students were going to learn and what really got them going and what really didn't. And that really helped set the tone that I was able to bundle a couple of standards together later on in the year, but just have them be very successful. And again, those are some of the best things that I can do uh, or that I can recommend. But again, just that community was so important to me. So I love that piece. So yeah, that would be my best advice for Mel and for any teacher that is out there for sure. I, I oh. love that response. I, I love <laughs> I love um, having students help and assist to create um, the school that I just finally came from. Um, we were a restorative justice school. So students actually came together to create their own community agreements. And what I loved about it is you can hold them accountable for what they set as their own rules, right? So it's, hey, you are responsible for putting one mic and now you're talking while the rest of the class is trying to get work done. So what's going on? So I really love that. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I appreciate the question. So Yaritza, thank you so much. Again, it was such an honor to have you here just to share your passion, share your voice, share your platform with all our audience members. And I'm just really excited and thrilled for what will be coming next and hopefully the next books that will be coming out. And I'm just really excited as we get to learn more about Mackenzie, we get to learn more about yourself. And again, that representation piece being so important. And that's just such so wonderful that we have amazing educators such as yourself that are pushing that education needle forward, inspiring others that are just starting and fanning the flame for those that have been in it for a long time and, you know, keeping that flame going. So thank you, Yaritza, for everything that you do. Thank you so much and keep filling our, our cups, you know, and we'll definitely keep following you on uh, social media. And definitely I'm really excited to join that group too, 
as well. And so I'm definitely excited to share. So thank you, Yaritza. And before we go, please let our audience members know where it is that they can connect with you, where it is that they can find your books. Hey, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at INC underscore YV. And you can find my books on Amazon or on my website at mckenziesadventures.com slash books. Excellent. Yaritza Villalba, ha sido un honor. It has been an honor to have you here today. And for all our audience members, Stacy, Tim, Mel, Amanda, and Farid, thank you so much for joining us here with all of your questions and comments and your support for just this show, for this platform that is all about connecting educators, education professionals, and creators one show at a time. As you know, this is our mission. It may seem grand. It may seem something big, but this is what's in my heart just to really amplify this space a lot more. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart as usual for making my EdTech life what it is today. Please make sure that you visit our website, guys, at myedtech.life, myedtech.life. Check out this amazing episode and all of our other amazing episodes where I guarantee you that you will find some golden gems there that you can sprinkle onto your practice and things that can help you out this year and the years to come because we've had some wonderful educators share their passion here on this show. And also, if you can, go onto the go onto the website, drop us a review. We'd love to hear from you, see what we're doing well, see where we can improve. As always, we always strive for excellence to bring you, as always, the best. And of course, if you want to contribute and be part of this mission, you can go ahead and stop by our store where you can get yourself some merch. Like We've got some nice caps. We've got some nice shirts, too, that you can go ahead and buy and purchase and be part of this mission as we continue to push forward and pushing the needle forward in education and bringing those educators and creators one show at a time. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Yaritza, de nuevo, ha sido un gran placer y un gozo tenerte aquí hoy este día que has llenado mi corazón con un entusiasmo que no te imaginas. So gracias. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And also all our audience members, as usual, don't forget, like the sign says up here, until next time, stay techie.